Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, episode 76. I am Stacy, your host, naked and afraid survivalist, former wildlife professional, and now a podcaster and truth seeker. It's a weird time for everyone, and there's a lot of strange and confusing news out there. And it's been a long while since I recorded, and a lot of things have happened since then. But I am back to come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Really excited about Stacy's socials this week. The first thing we're going to talk about is this engineer. He was a mining engineer. His name is George, George Wallen Schufelt. This was in 1933, so it's a little dated, but still, still applicable to today. He was in Los Angeles, California, and he had invented a what he called a revolutionary device for exploring underground deposits of oil, gold, and other resources, as well as detecting underground voids and cave systems. So this thing he called an x-ray machine, and it looked like it was kind of like a, a dowsing um, device. It was a pendulum suspended from a copper wire in a cylindrical glass case placed on a black box on three supports. He said his machine used x-rays to analyze the chemical, electrical, and physical properties of matter at great depths, down to several miles. The mysterious process being used, details were not shared or explained to anyone, and he began to do this through LA in search of gold and other materials. One day when he was working right in the center of the city, his device gave out data showing there was an extensive system of tunnels underground. He said that these winding tunnels went all the way to the top of Mount Washington and passed under the Santa Monica Bay. And they were not passages just dug in the ground. He was assured that it, they were competently in a structured labyrinth created with rooms and chambers of various sizes. This was on such a huge scale that at least 5,000 people could easily be accommodated there. And also, in his words, he said that there were large reserves of gold stored in these underground rooms and tunnels. So he either lost his shit or he had come across a miraculous discovery. He made a map of this underground city. This is something you can find online. And he said, I realized that I was above a maze of tunnels. And I noted the course of the tunnels, the location of the large rooms scattered along the tunnel route, and the location of the gold deposits. I could not understand the meaning of this. My x-ray pictures of the tunnels and rooms, which are underground voids and golden shots with perfect angles, sides, and ends, are scientific proof of their existence. He went to an old chief of the local Hopi Indians. This chief's name was Chief Little Greenleaf, who seemed to be very aware of this ancient tunnel system. According to Little Greenleaf, thousands of years ago, a race of people once lived here, the ancestors of the Maya Indians, he called the Lizard People, a.k.a. Reptilians, because they worshipped lizards as a symbol of long life. This lost civilization was extremely technologically and intellectually advanced, had many inventions and mechanisms, as well as a lot of gold. One day, their world came to an end when a massive meteor shower fell on them about 5,000 years ago. Few survived that catastrophe, and they were saved only by retreating to underground shelters. They then built a city underground, working with the stone and with a mysterious chemical solution that could melt rock. 
They reinforced the tunnels and rooms with an unknown improved form of concrete. Many rooms were created as storerooms and even more as gold stores. The lizard people were so afraid to return to the surface that they built two more cities underground. One was in the area of California's Mount Shasta and the second location is unknown. This could be the one in Antarctica. Now there's a lot of um, mythological storytelling surrounded by the reptilians and how they used to inhabit the surface of the earth, but they did have to go underground. Whether or not it was the Galactic Federation that pushed them underground to make way for humans, there's all kinds of different hypotheses about why they went underground. These tunnels below LA, he discovered, she felt discovered, he called what he called the key room. According to Hopi legend, it contained 37 huge gold slabs that contained complete records of the origins of the human race. He said, my x-ray radio revealed the location of one of these three lost cities on the Pacific coast. The local city was dug out by the lizard people after a great catastrophe that occurred 5,000 years ago. This legendary catastrophe was in the form of a huge tongue of fire that came from the southwest, destroying all life in its path, and the path was several hundred miles wide. The city was dug underground to avoid fires in the large rooms in the domes of the hills above the city of the labyrinths. A thousand families were housed, and imperishable stocks of various herbs were stored in the catacombs to provide food for the people of the lizards for a long time. So Schufelt began making plans to start excavating this underground city. He got permission from the county review board to drill into the ground up to a thousand feet deep. In February of 1934, he began excavations in a vacant lot off North Hill Street, just above where a large gold vault was located. Workers dug into the ground, but when they dug to about 300 feet, they came across an ab abundance of silt layers from groundwater, after which the dug hole was at risk of collapse. Work slowed down, gold was never seen, interest of the public waned, and he ran out of money. So, and then years following, nothing changed, and he sank into obscurity, and in 1957, he died in poverty. His mysterious x-ray machine disappeared and has not been found until now, this says, but doesn't allude to any other information. And then it ends with, what do you think about his claim? Is there really a reptilian city below us? Thought that was fascinating. First time I've ever heard of this, which is weird because usually I've heard about mo mostly everything relating to this. Next is, so <laughs> how many times have you heard that there is a black market for body parts, well, a Colorado funeral home was able to traffic such body parts for nearly a decade. From 2009 to 2018, Megan Hess and her mother, Shirley Koch, operated a nonprofit organization called the Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation. They are being charged in federal court with mail fraud, illegally trafficking body parts, and giving clients fake ashes. So families had sought cremation services from Sunset Mesa Funeral Foundation would receive fake ashes and their loved ones were dissected and sold limb for limb through the back door mail-in donor service. Families who did consent to organ don donation were also lied to as the funeral home sold more body parts than what the families consented to. Megan and Shirley offered these cremation services for families for $1,000 or more 
but many of these cremations never occurred, and families were given concrete mixes. Were ashes taken from other incinerated bodies? Behind closed doors, this nasty bitch and her mom picked apart the dead bodies in search of viable organs and limbs. After procuring these body parts, they would offer the limbs to third parties on the black market. And get this, many of these third parties included medical research, surgical training, and other educational outlets. There is communications evidence that this woman and her mother may have worked with hospice wards to identify specific organs that buyers demanded. They were arrested in 2020 on six counts of mail fraud, three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials. Hess had only pled guilty to the mail fraud and several of the charges have been dropped as a part of a new plea deal. Hess faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in Fed Pen, uh, but she, realistically she's only looking at about 12 to 15. Authorities also accused them of shipping these bodies that tested positive for Hep B, Hep C, and HIV. Some of these body parts they shipped through the mail were procured from people who died of infectious diseases, obviously. And according to this investigation, they falsely advertised that these body parts were disease-free. One of Hess's former employees came forward and accused her of extracting gold teeth from one skull and selling them for $40,000. She would also meet with medical professionals in a hospice ward to identify potential organ donors and in a 2014 conversation with a potential body part buyer, she wrote that she was meeting with hospice on the 4th and they would be opening the floodgates of donors. She said, they have four or five deaths a day. Get ready. And she offered a deal to the prospective buyer. How about a deal on full embalmed spines? 950? These communications should open up a full investigation into practices at the hospice ward. If the demand for specific organs is so great and they are high-paying clients, then getting a brain death diagnosis would become a critical step in the body parts of trafficking or in the body parts trafficking operation. Once a brain death diagnosis is obtained on an organ donor, the family is legally obligated to give their loved one over to organ procurement. This uh, religious exemptions are available in most states, so you might want to get one of those or don't put donor on on your ID. You know, I always used to be one of those people that would be like, yes, I want to donate my organs, but shit, if these people are getting good money for it, what, what are they, how are they going to be stopped from giving you a brain dead diagnosis so they can have somebody pay them to harvest your organs and for them to not go to people in need, but to go to medical research facilities for whatever ridiculous needs that they have for them. So I guess once a brain death diagnosis is secured, organs are harvested quickly. And the controversy behind this brain death diagnosis fuels speculation that there is a covert legal body part trafficking operation happening right within the U.S. medical system with demand for organs growing worldwide. Sick shit. I'm telling you what. Next is a rare brain-eating amoeba strikes swimmers at an Iowa lake of three fires. This person who's hospitalized in Missouri swam at the three fires state park in Iowa after being stricken with Naglaria fowlerii, an infection so rare that there's only about 154 known cases in the U.S. from 1962 to 2019, and that's according to the CDC, of course. 
Of those infected, only four people have survived. Naglaria fowley is typically found in warm freshwater, including lakes, rivers, and ponds, and it can cause rare life-threatening infection of the brain called primary amoebic meningoencephalitis. Humans can be infected when water containing the amoeba enters through the nose, usually during swimming or diving. And once in the body, the amoeba makes its way to the brain where it begins attacking tissue. Symptoms include fever, stiff neck, vomiting, seizures, severe headache, altered mental status, and hallucinations. The agency um, recommends, Missouri Department of Health and Human Senior Services recommends using nose clips when swimming in fresh water, not submerging your head in hot springs and other untreated thermal waters, and not participating in water-related activities in warm fresh water during periods of high water temperature. In May, a man in Pakistan died and another became seriously ill after they were infected with the brain-eating amoeba. Infection cannot spread from one person to another and cannot infect people who simply drink the water. Scary, right? Okay, next is a BBC article that's really concerning. Um, To me it is, and for the rest of the world I think it should be too, it would be the victimization and trafficking of children. I guess, according to the BBC, there's a team of U.S. military veterans helping to organize safe passage for the estimated 200,000 children in Ukraine's orphanages and foster homes. Thousands are unaccounted for. And fear some may already have fallen prey to people traffickers. Kiev says it's tightening procedures for vulnerable children. So, according to the conspiracy world, Kiev is a hot spot for trafficking kids and trafficking humans. I'm not surprised at all that thousands of children have gone missing. Martin Gverbeck says they're very easy prey. They're looking for assistance. So if you're an adult with some food or refuge, they will come to you. They don't know any better. He has heard about children going missing from a number of different sources and reports of people smugglers wearing reflective vests and pretending to belong to organizations helping the relief effort. He says the gangs are very advanced. It's a big, well-financed network that does this for a living. They're good at this in peacetime, but now it's war, it's chaos, and they're exploiting the fact that there's disorder and they're able to snatch more kids and women. He also points out that although most men aged 18 to 60 are not allowed to leave Ukraine because they are expected to fight, but any man who has three or more children with him can pass through. No proper vetting is taking place on the borders, and there's no way to check if a man is actually a parent of these kids. This is what scares me the most. It says the Ukrainian authorities are now establishing a system with the help of NGOs, non-governmental organizations. How much corruption and human trafficking has been going on in NGOs across the world? So he says that these NGOs are coming up with a process to displace children to help displace children and setting up safe areas in the east of the country. In the meeting that they had, the authorities expressed concern that 5,000 children on their records were unaccounted for. Nobody knows what happened to them. They're either casualties of war or they've slipped across the border or have been taken out of the border by smugglers or by people that are doing it the wrong way. Vladimir Lice, Regional Head of Service of Children's Protection under the Ministry of Social Policy in Liev, told the BBC that the first 10 days of war were difficult, but it had improved. 
He said it was very, very chaotic. They didn't know where the kids were going. Nobody felt like they had worked out a system. Now there's enough NGOs and there's enough volunteers. Everybody knows what they're doing, he says. There's really not a way to know for sure now how many are missing and the authorities are now trying to track what's happened to all of the children in the system. Former soldier and aid worker Rob Lowry is volunteering alongside aerial recovery in Ukraine. He said what we've seen is smugglers using the war in Ukraine as a shield to move in on the most vulnerable. Hopefully things are now in place to get these youngsters out of dangerous areas and make sure they can't fall into the hands of traffickers. Fuck. And you like, you don't know who to trust. Just awful. Quick recap. Alex Murdaugh. He's that really wealthy attorney that was doing all kinds of weird shit. He like, he tried to fake a carjacking and shot himself in the head. He's, you know, being accused of murdering his wife and his son. Um, we've talked about him before on the show. I just wanted to give you a quick update. He is... People are saying, family members of Alex Murdaugh are saying that he's going to be charged over the double slaying of his wife and son. I have not seen a follow-up whether or not he actually was indicted on the murders. The wife, Maggie, and Paul, the son, were murdered, and this investigation is still active and ongoing. Murdaugh is a member of one of the Palmetto State's most prominent legal families, had been the one to first call 911 when his Maggie wife, wife Maggie, 52, and troubled 22-year-old son Paul were found shot dead outside their hunting property in Colton County in June of the year before last. Next on our list of crazy shit is a New York Post article about the Olympic legend Mo Farah. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He is the four-time Olympic champion. He was revealed that he was literally trafficked and taken from his family in Somaliland when he was nine years old and trafficked to the UK under a different child's name. He is a legendary long-distance runner brought into England illegally from Djibouti and was formed to do or was forced to do housework and childcare in exchange for food. So this guy, he was a fucking slave as a child in the UK. He was an indentured servant forced to work and labor in exchange for food and shelter. And I don't know if he was abused or how he got out of this, but he actually came out about this during a BBC documentary called The Real Mo Farah. He is 39 years old. He's the father of four, and he revealed his real name as Hussein Abdi Kahin. He said, despite what I've said in the past, my parents never lived in the UK. When I was four, my dad was killed in a civil war. As a family, we were torn apart. I was separated from my mother, and I was brought to the UK illegally under the name of another child called Mohammed Farah. He presents a fake visa that allowed him into the country at age nine. And um, the athlete remembered how his mother sent him and his twin brother to live with his uncle after the sudden death of their father when he was four. And he thought he was going to England to live with a distant family member and remembered what it was like going through the British passport check with his new name after traveling with a woman he didn't know. He has been consulting with a lawyer about losing his citizenship because it was obtained fraudulently, but UK's home office said that no action whatsoever will be taken against him. And he said he had all the contact details for his relative, and once he got to her house, the lady took it and right in front of him ripped it up and put it in the bin. And that, at that moment, he knew he was in trouble. 
He was forced to live in domestic servitude for her family and would get paid only in food. He said from day one, what the lady did wasn't right. I was, wasn't treated as a part of the family. If I wanted food in my mouth, my job was to look after her kids, shower them, cook for them, clean for them. And if you ever want to see your family again, she said, don't say anything or they will take you away. He said he often would just lock himself in the bathroom and cry. Poor kid. He confided in a teacher, Alan Watkinson, and moved to live with his friend's mother who took care of him. He lived there for seven years. So now he's world famous and very successful, has a beautiful family. So bless him. But God, man. Uh, another article about Dallas Cowboy running back Marion Barber. He died of a heat stroke at his house. He was found dead inside of his apartment in Texas. He was 38 years old. His father said that the condition of his body had complicated the investigation. The officials had ruled out foul play and trauma, so he must have been there for a while before they found him. It's just, it's not likely that this running back wasn't able to figure out how to prevent himself from getting heat exhaustion and heat stroke to lead to his death. It's really hot down there. He probably knows, he's a grown man, he knows to drink water and to take care of himself in high temperatures. Why the fuck did he die at 38? And why the fuck did, you know, they just come up with these, he died of heat stroke, huh? Okay. Suspish. Next, a Mexican drug cartel accused in the gruesome killing of nine women and children from an offshoot Mormon community is been ordered to pay $1.5 billion to the families, says a federal judge from North Dakota. I don't know if you guys remember this awful story, but it was the November 2019 attack in Mexico. The, they are accusing the Juarez cartel of killing these poor moms and these kids. Cartel members fired hundreds of rounds of ammunition into these vehicles and then set them on fire. Mexican authorities said that in 2020 that the mastermind of the attack was one of these 17 people arrested and U.S. Magistrate Judge Claire Hockhalter's award will be automatically tripled under Federal Anti-Terrorism Act, increasing the amount to $4.6 billion. The government can freeze assets of terrorist organizations, but it's unclear if the U.S. Treasury Department holds any cartel assets. The Bismarck Tribune reported that the cartel did not respond to a public summons, published summons, and or have any representation at a trial in, the North, in North Dakota. Nine people were killed in the massacre, Renita Miller and her four children, Howard, 12, Crystal, 10, and infant twins, Titus and Tiana. Donna Langford was 43, Christina Marie Langford Johnson, 29, and her ch children, Trevor, 11, and Rogan, were also among the victims. Surviving family members include two widowers. These are the husbands of the women killed. They were working in North Dakota at the time the suit was filed. Their lawyers said various family members were living in the state and working in the oil industry while traveling back and forth to Mexico. David Langford, husband of one of the victims, said, We went into a United States courtroom in North Dakota seeking some acknowledgement of and a measure of justice for the trauma inflicted on our family, and we received it. You know, if the cartel had, they probably don't, but if they had any empathy for women and children, they would at least pay some of the money 
I, I mean, there's so much loss of life there that it's just such an injustice, and I don't know how money could fix it, but it can help, I guess. I don't know. Just fucked up. Next is a page six article, which is a piece of crap, <laughs> but it's important because there is a new couple in Hollywood. Bradley Cooper and Huma Abedin are dating, right? Huma is one of the, the top aides. She was the top aide to Hillary Clinton and the former wife of disgraced politician Anthony Weiner. Now, we all know about the Anthony Weiner laptop. Some of us might know was actually on it. Uma Abedin has been accused of appearing in the infamous Frazzle Drip video. Maybe we'll talk about this on this podcast, but it's fucked up. It's sick. And if Bradley Cooper has any idea what kind of person Uma Abedin is, he's a sick fucker too. I guess the person that put them together is the Vogue editor, Anna Wintour. She's close with both of them, I guess. And they kept their dating really quiet for several months. And now I guess he broke up with some other chick to start dating her. But it's just fucking gross. You know, I see a lot of these articles about Pete Davidson getting horny because Kim says something about getting ice cream. Or so-and-so said something about so-and-so on Instagram. And so now this person's clapping back. The fact that people even give a shit is just fucking ridiculous. But the reason why this matters is because Huma Abedin is a fucking criminal. And we gotta keep pretty close tabs on her. Because she is a part of a corruption ring that needs to go down. Next is, okay, so during our break, the Evalde school shooting happened. And I really wanted to talk about this article talking about the video obtained by Austin American Statesman showing how police officers dilly-dallied in the hallway of Robb Elementary School instead of charging towards the 18-year-old gunman Salvador Ramos as he systematically slaughtered 21 people. So this 77-minute clip shows officers rushing into the school just minutes after this kid started shooting everybody. But instead of rushing in there and saving those kids that were being slaughtered, they stopped and lingered. One cop had a helmet and a vest, was seen using a wall-mounted hand sanitizer and checking his phone. They were also captured fleeing down the hallway when Ramos fires in their direction. Heavily armed officers are seen in the video walking around in the hallway, leaving, coming back, talking to each other, making calls when they could have been saving people's lives. Um, a husband you see that was released, he like half-heartedly, he's got his gun drawn, he's, he's charging through his, his co-workers and he's like, his wife, my wife said she'd been shot and he was going to storm in there. But they stop him and he gives up. Like anybody who's really, their, their, their wife, their family member is in mortal danger. They've been shot. You think anybody's just going to be able to stop you? They're going to have to fucking knock your ass down and hold your ass down. He's like, oh, okay. Puts his gun away and just is like, yeah, I'm not even going to fucking try. Give me a break. It seemed really fake to me. Um, it's not until 77 minutes into this recording that cops finally breached the classroom where Ramos, who died in the attack, was gunned down. And there, he had already killed innocent kids and teachers. 
There was one moment during the recording, about 45 minutes after they arrived, an officer in a helmet and in a vest is seen using a wall-mounted hand sanitizer. Oh, we said that. And that same officer was seen looking at his phone, checking his phone, checking his socials. And then last but not least, inflation hit a strong and unexpectedly high 9.1% inflation, raising the risk of even steeper rate hikes from the Federal Reserve as Americans get pummeled by record gas prices, soaring rents, and stiff grocery bills. This is the highest it's been since November 1981, and it is ratcheting up pressure on Biden, who has faced widespread criticism over his muted initial response as higher prices slammed household budgets. The insanity is fucking huge, ain't it? So I'm sure inflation is even higher, potentially. Things are crazy. What's going to happen next? On this week's accountability segment, we've got some really, really sad news I have to report and speak on. One of our Naked and Afraid alumni, Mel, I can't tell you what episode she was on. She was on XL4, I believe, in South Africa. Um, She passed away, and her death is unexplained. I do believe that they are having an autopsy done. She was 35 years old extremely young, extremely active, extremely healthy, and one of the most passionate and loving people I've ever met in my life. She had this laugh that was just beautiful. She judged nobody and just loved people just so much. And people are perplexed. They want to know what happened to her, as do I. There was a report by TMZ that said that she was found with several cans of dust off next to her body as if she had huffed them and that was the reason why she died and then so that was kind of debunked not really but i didn't see any any proof for the the person's house she was at so i guess she was she was dog sitting and the people had come home dog was fine of course but they had found her in the guest bedroom Uh, passed away you know I'd really like to talk to the person whose friend's house she was at dog sitting and was there really cans of dust off and how the hell did TMZ get this information who would have said that is that is that true Um, if not then what the hell happened so her mom released a statement talking about how wonderful she was and how amazing she was, which is absolutely true. It's an understatement. This woman was just incredible to be around. What an, a beautiful energy. Her mom released a statement discussing her PTSD. She was in Iraq. Um, she was a veteran, obviously. She also worked with youth, I believe. And so she had some severe PTSD from some trauma in her life. I do not know what that trauma was. She never shared that with me. I I have some brief inclination of what's happened to her. And she did share a few things with me, but I'm just going to keep that to myself. So in the statement that her mom released, she said that Mel was participating in a study that measured the effects of PTSD on our soldiers. And she was very passionate about going through this study 
And even though it was bringing up some past traumas and that she was having some difficulties, she told her mom that she wanted to stick with it because she really wanted to help other veterans and other people with PTSD and participate in this study. Okay, there's that. But then her mom made a statement that she said that she believed that because of the PTSD and mental health reasons that Mel was self-medicating. There's no toxicology reports that have been released. There's no autopsy that has been released. So her mom, it kind of seems to me, now I don't want to speak out of turn and I don't want to piss anybody off, but it seems to me that her mom is kind of speculating, which I think is really unfair. Now, if that's true, then, you know, shame on me for even assuming that Mel was drug-free, but I never ever would have placed her in the category of somebody who would be abusing cans of air or huffing or even self-medicating. And the reason why is because if she was participating in a study to help people with PTSD, she would not have used drugs to compromise the results of that study unless the study was complete, but it didn't kind of, it didn't sound like that to me. So it just, it doesn't make sense. This woman was not a druggie. I really, I, unless I see proof that she was using drugs, which I'm not going to judge her, and we all have our traumas, and I've partied, and shit, I mean, I could have died from a drug overdose several times in my life, so I'm not going to judge her, even if she was using, but I have my doubts, and my gut tells me that it wasn't that. That's not what took her out. Plus, Another reason why this woman had a lot of integrity and she gave a shit about people in her life. I do not see her huffing several cans of dust off or popping so many fucking pills that she died in somebody's house who she was responsible for their dog. She wasn't that kind of person. So to me, it really pisses me off that anyone, even family, would speculate that she was self-medicating to the point where she killed herself. And it really pisses me off that TMZ reported that she was some kind of fucking dopehead that huffed several cans of fucking dust off. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. We want answers. People, especially people who loved her. I, I'm not the kind of person that is going to look at this and be like, oh, well, farewell, Mel. Um... You know, we, we loved you and you're gone and there's nothing we could do about it now. I want to know what the fuck happened to her. She was 35 years old and she deserved to be able to live the rest of her life. And it, this she's the first naked and afraid participant to have died. And it's hurtful because I loved her so much. I was so looking forward to seeing her again. And I know we're all feeling that and it's... It's just not, it's not fair. And she would have been the last person I would have thought that would have died um, for no reason at all. E or especially for a drug abuse. It just, it doesn't add up. Next to uh, part of the reason why I haven't recorded is because I got sick. I got really sick. And because I don't test or I don't do anything like that, I can't tell you even, I don't even believe those fucking tests work. But so I can't tell you if I had what they think is out there. Um, I suspect I, I did because I had the worst fever and I was 
um, it, it was, I was like in the, my own little personal hell. Like I had the worst fever. It was black and I was sleeping on shapes and I kind of felt like I was in a silent hill, hell house and just awful. Like I felt like I was going to die. Worst headache. felt like my head was in a vice. And then the following days felt better, felt fine. The fever really only lasted through the weekend and I recovered. But then before you knew it, my hearing I lost my hearing in my right ear so I'm like hmm I must have an ear infection so I go to the doctor and I have a double ear infection so now I'm on a course of antibiotics I haven't been to the gym in two weeks which sucks um, now I got a kink in my neck because I have um, chronic nerd neck from looking down and so I've got to do the exercises that my physical therapist taught me how to do and of course I I go to YouTube to find out what they say on there and it's it's the same double chin exercise I got to do to straighten my neck because I look down all the time. I'm sitting at a computer, staring at my phone, hunched over, just in that relaxed state. So posture, we've talked about posture on the podcast before, how important it is because you can literally pinch a nerve in your neck and cause an unbelievable amount of pain. And so dealing with that, hearing's almost back, starting to feel like myself again, and I feel good. I feel strong and I feel ready to take on the world like normal. So I am back. I don't think I'm going to be having an interview on this episode. If, if I do, then I'm going to stick it in there. But I really don't think that that's going to happen. So I'm sorry about that. I'm pretty much going to carry on with the rest of the segments like usual. And I hope that was... A good statement about my dear friend Melanie. Godspeed, sweetie. You were fucking fantastic. Fantastic human being. There's nobody in the world like you. And I'm really, really going to miss you. And this is a hard time to fucking go to business, but that's the way the show goes. So follow me on all the social medias. There's tons of links below if you want to just click and go and follow or create a profile on some of those other social media platforms. I am restricted on Facebook, and so all my posts are pushed down lower on the feed, and that's going to be happening for the next 60-something days because I I shared some stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I've been getting into trouble a little bit more often because I speak my mind. And nobody is going to tell me I can't do that. So also, you know, there's a Patreon. I don't really do much over there. That's not growing. So whatever. Go to InwardSurvival.com. Follow my Twitter at Stacy Fringe because this show's Twitter needs some followers. You can go to Forbidden Clothes to get some cool threads and use the Fringe with Benefits thing with the link below. And that's pretty much it. Like, I really don't care if you go follow my social medias. I don't really care if I've got a following. I don't even care if I really got listeners here. Um, But I know I do. And I love all y'all. And I know we're doing good works here talking about all these things. So let's move on. You can send us your mail at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week, I've got something pretty cool. It's a long one. It's going to take up most of our episode this week. I do actually have permission to share this. I spoke to the guy on Reddit. He posted it months ago, and I asked him to come on the show, but I never followed up with him. 
And since then, he's been on other people's shows. So maybe I'll try to get him on the show. Who knows? I'm, I'm pretty sure the same activity is still going on. But this is the reason why I reached out to him. It goes like this. It's titled, There is Something in the Woods. He said, I had previously posted the story with my wife's account a couple of days ago in the Reddit thread Bigfoot. I didn't know what we had seen, and it wasn't until someone replied with feel free to post on the Reddit thread crawlers. This caught me off guard as I've never heard of Glimmerman Wendigo crawlers before. Now, I haven't read too much into this topic as I have a lot going on, but soon I realized that this ties in to just about everything that has happened since we moved in a year ago. I'm going to start with the seemingly unrelated incidents that have led up to this most recent eye-opening experience. About a year ago, I moved with my family into a home way out into the woods in Tennessee. I wanted it to be brief here, but I needed to get this off my chest. And after looking into this matter a little more, I have a lot more details than I think I will paint a clear picture in the end, so please bear with me. The nights here can be extremely loud. Between the crickets, the tree frogs, and the cicadas, it can almost be deafening. One night, not too long after we moved in, I had forgotten something in my car and headed outside to get it. The first thing that struck me as odd was that my dog wouldn't go outside with me. My dog goes everywhere with me, as I am her whole world. But not this night. As I held the door open, she looked out, then looked up at me like, nope. So I walked out and shut the door behind me. A second thing that caught me off guard was that there was not a peep. It was dead silent. Still shrugged this off and walked down my front steps and headed toward my car. When I had gotten about 10 feet from the car, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I felt as though something was watching me. I looked around and I saw nothing. After I reached into my car for what I had forgotten to grab earlier, I had this feeling like something was moving towards me. I took a step back and checked all around me. All of a sudden, I heard one of my hedges next to me that lined the walkway to our front door rattle. At first, I thought it was a rabbit that I had spooked, as I had seen one just earlier that day right where this was. A few seconds later, I heard the sound of a large rock about the size of a cantaloupe landing a few feet away from me. It hit the walkway and bounced into a shrub. I drew my gun and called out and said, whoever that this was, it's about to be shot. After a few seconds of nothing, I began to think that maybe this was some local teenagers messing with the new people. I holstered my sidearm, turned, and started walking back to my front door. Almost as, as soon as I turned towards my house, I heard this deep panting sound. It sounded like a huge dog, but what made me note back in my front door was that it sounded like it was right behind me. I leapt up onto my porch, turned, and drew my gun again, expecting something right there, but that again, there was nothing. A couple weeks later, I was on my porch at night, sitting on a bench with my wife. She got up and walked inside to get something, and as soon as she shut the door, I heard that panting sound again. I couldn't see anything, yet this sounded like it was right on top of me. The sound was coming from everywhere, and it was very loud. Again, I couldn't see anything, so I noped it back inside my house. Now, at this point, I was questioning moving here, but after nothing else really happened, I let it go. A month or so later, it was really rainy and stormy night. It's around 9 p.m. and my wife and I enjoy listening to the rain and talking about how relaxing the rain is. Me growing up in Oregon loved the rain. And for the past 10 years, we lived in Vegas where it would dump the entire year of rain in a day and then be bone dry for the rest of the year. For my wife, who grew up in Nevada, rain was such a rare thing. She loved going outside and watching the rain. So for us, this was an enjoyable experience. 
except this night in a particular except this night in particular things took a weird turn as we were sitting there talking about the rain and relaxing my wife stops me and said did you hear that i said no what did you hear she said i swear it sounded like a small child calling for help out in the woods besides our house i said no i didn't hear anything after a few moments of us listening intently she said there it is again I said, I didn't hear a thing, sweetie. Are you sure you're just not hearing things? She looked at me offended, like we do, <laughs> and I didn't hear anything and said, no, I'm positive. How could you not hear that? It was our son. I think he's out there and got lost. I said, no, he's in the house sleeping on the couch. Then we both looked through the blinds that were open right behind us, and we could see all of our children laying there. She said, that's so weird. I swear it sounded like our son. I said, well, it isn't him. He's right there. Besides, I don't hear anything. She then stands up and says, wow, he's really crying out for help. I need to go look for him. Now, at this point, if you knew my wife, you would know she's absolutely creeped out by the woods and wouldn't be caught dead walking into them during the daylight, much less at night during a storm. I grabbed her hand and said, I've been listening intently and there is absolutely nobody calling out for help. You need to stay here. At this point, I'm getting worried about her. She was acting completely out of character, not to mention at this time she's eight months pregnant with her baby daughter. And then she says, what if there's some child out there lost in the woods? I said, well, first off, I would be able to hear them too. Secondly, there are no other kids around here for miles and the odds of them being lost 100 feet from our house that's lit up like a Christmas tree is nil. She then says, I know, but what if it's a kid? Before I could say anything else, she stands up and starts walking towards the stairs. I jumped up and grabbed her hand again and said, no, you're not. Get in the house. I don't know what's going on, but you need to go inside. She then complies and we both go inside. I didn't know what this was, but it freaked me out. A few months later, or a few months after this, just as it was getting dark outside, I heard the front door to our house open and I got up to investigate. We have an autistic six-year-old twins and we have the door out set up so they can't open it without us there. So to hear this sound, it could only be my wife. What was weird was the fact that she usually doesn't go outside without saying something to me. I walked out front and saw my wife walking down our private road towards the drive on the side of our house. I asked her what she is doing and she said she's sitting on the back patio and she kept hearing a baby crying out in the woods. I said, seriously? And you just decided to walk off into the woods to investigate. She then looks out into the woods and says, see, there it is again. Again, I can't hear anything, but what I did notice was that it was completely silent out again. I told her, just like before, the chances of a baby being out in the woods outside her house is slim and that she needed to get back in the house. She said, what if someone left a baby out there? I said, well, if that were true, I would hear it too. Now, at this point, I was really starting to worry about my wife's mental health. I actually asked her to see a psychiatrist, and she did. Now, looking back, I feel really bad about this knowing what I know. A key to this moment was that my wife had just given birth to a baby girl a month before. A few days after this, we were out on the front porch. It's early evening, and I had just mowed the lawn, and our three-year-old son was riding around on his little car in front of the house. Now he knows he's not allowed outside of certain area that we mapped off. He loves playing outside. 
But with the road behind 50 feet from our front porch, and we have to be careful as a lot of boaters will fly through after drinking all day on their boats. As we are talking, we are both keeping an eye on him. A neighbor drives by and stops to say hi for a second. This interaction took approximately eight seconds. All they did was say, how are things? We said, good. And he told us he would stop by later as his wife got something for the kids who happens to be one of their teachers in school. And we said, okay, great. And he drove off. I looked over where our son was and he was gone. I called out his name and ran over to the side of the house and could hear his car on our side drive. I scolded him for leaving the area and he said something in his three-year-old gibberish and pointed to the woods behind our house. I said he had five seconds to get back up to the front of the house or else and he adamantly pointed back in the direction of the woods and kept trying to tell me something. I looked off into the direction of the woods and just assumed he saw a deer or a squirrel or something and wanted to see it up close. I walked him back up to the front of the house and he cried the whole way there. He got really upset that I wouldn't let him go into the woods, but I just wrote this off as him being curious, and most three-year-old boys are. Now, this instance isn't isolated as our twins have done similar things, but nothing quite as extreme as this. There have been nights where we have just laid down for the night, and I heard a loud bang on the side of our house on the wall behind our bed. It was so loud that I jumped up and looked out the window. Our floodlight had come on, but I could see nothing. Now the weird part about this is our bedroom sits about 12 feet from the ground level as we have a full-sized basement that's cinder block. I put on my slippers and grabbed one of my 12-gauge shotguns and walked outside to investigate. It was dead silent again. The floodlight that's on the side of the house had clicked off at this point, so I walked over to the end of the deck and shined my light around the yard. There was nothing. I walked around the house and shined the light around intently. As I approached the back side of my house and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, felt like someone was watching me. I shined the light up in the trees again, but nothing. I rounded the corner and the first thing I noticed was that my three dogs that were in their area were not making a peep. Now our dogs have no filter and will bark at anyone and everyone, and this includes me. So to see them all hiding with their tails between their legs, not making a peep, really had me worried. As I kept walking, all of a sudden, the crickets and the frogs started making sounds again. It was as if someone had clicked a switch. I walked back to the house and told my wife that I hadn't seen anything. She shrugged and said okay, as long as our dogs were okay. Due to the circumstances that night, I decided to let the dogs in to sleep with us. This is the very same thing that has happened on all four exterior walls of our house. It's random and annoying, but just like this instance, every time there is nothing going on outside. There have also been times when we were sitting in the house and I was watching a movie. My wife walked over to me and said, did you call me? And I said, no. And she said, she swears she heard me call her name in her ear. She said that it was definitely my voice, but she didn't understand because it sounded so close. And I was a good 20 feet away from her in my recliner. The important part to this was that she was sitting at the table doing something and the slider to the backyard was open behind her. Now our back patio sits about 20 feet off the ground and it's like a balcony as it has no stair access outside. I think the previous owner built it for a barbecuing. There have been several instances where she would say she heard someone whisper in her ear, but she couldn't make out the sound. Again, I kept thinking that she was going crazy, but as you will see, I think all of this is tied into this final moment where things are revealed. The last thing I want to mention before we get into what just happened is that I have a shooting range built behind my workshop on the opposite side of our property next to the main road. 
It's kind of on a downslope, but it works perfectly for what I need it for. The range itself is cut straight into the woods, going down about 100 yards or so. When you're at the downrange, you have woods surrounding you on all sides except back up to my shop. I have to say it, it has always felt creepy when I'm dealing with my targets or mowing. When you're down there, it feels like you're miles from anyone. One day, around 5 in the evening, I was sighting a new rifle scope. The sun was still up, but was going to start to fade soon, so I knew that this was going to be the final test. Up until this point, nothing really happened while I was making my multiple trips downrange, other than this feeling of uneasiness. As I got downrange, I kept getting this feeling like someone or something was watching me. I looked around, but I didn't see anything. As I was placing stickers over my previous shots, I heard something big off to the side of me. It sounded like a large branch had snapped off of a tree. Now, if you've been in the Tennessee woods, you will know that a lot of branches fall off of trees randomly out there, out of nowhere. So this is nothing new. Except this time it was very loud and sounded like fresh, strong wood, if that makes any sense. I turned and looked again, but I couldn't see anything. I started walking back up to my rifle, and I swear I heard someone right behind me. I turned around, but again saw nothing, and I started to walk again. I heard this deep growl. It was really deep and loud, and what's worse is it was all around me. I turned around facing the range and started walking backwards. The thought of some rabid dog charging out of the bushes had freaked me out, so running wasn't a good idea. I slowly walked backwards up the hill to my rifle, but nothing happened. I grabbed my rifle and I sprayed the target with rapid fire, hoping to scare off whatever was stalking me. I left 10 rounds in the mag and grabbed my rifle bag and quickly walked back up to the house. I never told my wife about this as I didn't want to freak her out. Fast forward to about a year later from when we moved in, and my niece is staying with us as a live-in nanny to earn some money over summer break from college. We were on our way back from the store about a mile from our house, and I saw two eyes reflecting in the headlights coming from a wide tree on the side of the road just ahead. It had caught my attention because they were higher than a deer, but different color and size. Just as I had said, what is that? And squinted, they vanished. I had made a comment that it was almost as if they had known I could see its eyes and moved. The color was kind of golden green, but they resembled the mannerism of a large cat as they felt ominous. It's hard to explain, but I shrugged it off as we were passing the tree and saw nothing. A few moments later, we arrived at the house. As we were getting bags out of the car, my three-year-old son came bolting out of the house excited to see me. As I was waiting to help her carry in her bags, I heard my dog growl. I looked in the direction she was looking at my neighbor's property across the street. Now what I saw has kept me up all night. Up until this point, I have always been skeptical as I have never seen anything with my own two eyes. Even with what had happened to me the year prior, I still had my doubts that it was just my mind playing tricks on me. Now my street is kind of a spread out neighborhood. Each house sits on several acres and at the end of our road is Kentucky Lake. My neighbor's house sits adjacent to my house on about an acre lot. Directly in front of my house is a wall of woods and directly behind my house is several thousand acres of untouched forest. As I was looking across the street to my neighbor's property, I saw a large, dark figure between the trees at first. The movement caught me off guard as it looked like something big moving quickly on all fours. Then when it came out into clear view, it stood up and walked like a man. At first, I didn't know what to make of it. It was very tall, but what was strange about it was the distance it was covering and the fact that when it was in front of his shed, I swear I could see through it. 
It was clearly walking quickly, but moving faster than any person could at a sprint. More importantly, there was no sound. It was like it was phasing in and out of reality as it moved. I said, what the hell is that? And realized that it was looking directly at us. It had moved at an angle away from us to minimize its time out in the open and moving quickly as it could while still being silent. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up as I realized that whatever it was, was stalking us. I told my niece to get in the house now, and I grabbed my son and booked it inside. I grabbed my AR-15 with a short scope and came back outside to see my niece still grabbing stuff out of her car. Knowing I told her firmly and clearly to get in the house, her disregard to my command annoyed me, but I still watched over her without saying a word. As she was slowly walking, she turned towards the woods across the street from my house and suddenly bolted for the house. She ran up the steps in a panicked state. I asked her what she saw, and her face was pale as a ghost. She said, I heard something big in the woods, walking loudly on the leaves, and when I turned towards it, I heard a deep, guttural growl. I asked her why she didn't come when, she to when I told her to, and she said she thought I was talking to my son. I told her what I had seen, and she wanted to get a closer look to see if she could see something. I told her that it was not a good idea. She went anyway. As she was walking down the walkway, I heard the sound of dry leaves crunching in the woods across the street. I told her to stop and come take the flashlight. Now at this point, she's about six feet away from my wife's SUV. As she turned and started walking back to me, I caught a glimpse of something gray and hairy bolt from behind the SUV across the street into the woods. My porch is a raised porch and our SUV is about six and a half feet tall. And whatever this was, it cleared about 45 feet in what looked like a single jump. It moved like lightning. Whatever it was, it wanted my niece. It jumped behind the car out of my line of sight and was waiting for her. She still doubted my warnings and grabbed the flashlight and walked back towards the car. As she entered my driveway, she stopped dead in her tracks, leaned forward as if she could see something. I asked her what she saw. She turned and ran back up on the porch and was terrified with a terrified look on her face saying, nope, 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 over and over again. She said it was a figure hiding inside of a tree and she saw its eyes. I asked her what they looked like and all she could say was that they looked dull red at first, but as she got closer, they looked dead. I said, what do you mean dead? And she said, that's where the pupils looked gray, like the way eyes look when they go blind. She said it was really dark gray and she swears she could see through it almost like a dark cloud. She wanted to go out again and took a step down the stairs and as she did, it revealed itself from the tree. I said, get inside and went in and locked the door. It looked like a tall human shaped being. It was really tall and looked ominous as hell. The next morning we did a height comparison to the tree limb she saw it stand over and put its height around nine feet tall and its eyes were about six inches apart. At this point, I don't know what that thing was. After doing some research, I think this thing was a glimmer man crawler. I looked to see if there'd been other sightings in Benton County, but nothing. More importantly, I swear it would phase in and out like a shadow person, but bigger and more obvious. Now, I originally posted this on the Reddit Bigfoot thread, but after doing a bunch of research, I believe this belongs here. One of the things that was making this fit is that it can communicate telepathically. This explains why everyone was hearing something that nobody else could hear. Secondly, it has a playback-like communication. So when I hear a dog panting, it was probably one of my dogs that it heard. My wife was actually hearing our son crying for help as he had recently fell and cried for help. 
The baby crying would be our newborn baby who she had just given birth to recently. And it must have heard me call my wife's name and kept telepathically calling my wife's name with my voice. Another thing that my niece had said that night was she felt compelled to go back outside to it. She said she felt like this thing was communicating with her somehow and wanted her to go back outside. The more I read about this thing, the more everything that's been happening over this past year makes sense. One thing that I find extra convincing is that down the road towards the lake, there's a property that's barbed wired off in a wall of forest with no driveway. A lot of the property down our road is undeveloped owned land. And on one of the trees, there's a large old sign that says, Screamer lives here, with an arrow pointing back into the woods. Now, I have to admit, when I first saw this sign, I laughed, thinking maybe the owner screamed at trespassers who entered his property and teenagers put up the sign to mess with him. But when I did a satellite search of our neighborhood, that entire section of road has no houses or trails or anything and is just pure forest as far as the eye can see. One of the things that this thing has said to do is make a loud scream when threatened. Now that you understand my story, I doubt this is the ending. The next question is what can we do? I don't want my wife or kids to disappear one day. And if there is more than one of these things out there and it's really making the missing 411 make a whole lot of sense, I feel perplexed and scared as to what I can do. Any advice? I will try to keep this post alive with any new experiences. And then he gives a picture of the sign. The, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But basically it just says it's a piece of plywood and it says the screamer with an arrow pointing into the woods. He says in parentheses, I apologize. It's my apologies. It's different than I remember, but similar. You can see why I made the connection after. And then another update is um, thank you for all the support. We are overwhelmed with the number of responses that we have had. Unfortunately, we can't afford to get the camera system trail cameras that many have recommended. I am a disabled veteran that has just lost my business to due to COVID lockdowns and we are struggling to afford the basic amenities currently. That being said, I did go out soon after posting at night to try to get some evidence to bring here. Unfortunately, the camera on my phone is not great for nighttime and it seems to make the images very grainy with low lighting. As I was sitting there that night, I did catch some strange sounds on the camera, as well as when I passed an area with my flashlight, there appeared to be something. But when I came back to there, it was nothing. Again, due to the lighting, it's very hard to make out. I haven't felt comfortable going out since. My niece just came back from a week's vacation in Florida, so we plan to sit out there a couple of nights to try to see if we can get anything. This stuff has been happening for a while now, but it was random and far apart. Ever since this last incident, I have seen things I can't explain, but they seem to be happening almost on a daily basis now. Last night when my niece arrived, we went out on the front porch to welcome her. I did notice that looked like a face staring at me, but what was weird was that I was start staring at it. It moved back into the shadow without moving, if that makes sense. These are the things I really want to get on here for you. We had an interview for a podcast and plan to do a few more. We will post the links as we get them. There's a story of a man in Georgia who I believe saw the exact same thing I did that night that I would like to post a link for you as well. We are also going to be working with an artist to try and get a good picture to show exactly what we saw. If anyone wants to donate, loan, a better night camera, message me. I would like to keep everyone updated on the goings on. There have been other things that have happened here I can't mention in this post, but I would like to add. I know that they may not be connected, but I feel you should all be the judge of that. 
One thing I would like to add in this update that I hadn't thought was connected about two to three weeks ago. My wife and I had been in an argument about something silly. She decided to walk back into our woods to clear her head. I was on the back patio when I noticed her walking down the shooting range and I asked her where she was going and she said to cool off. Now I know the chances of something happening to her was slim, but I found it odd that she would go into the woods rather than slippily walking down the road. I quickly got dressed and went down to try to bring her back. I went to the end of the range and called out her name. After a few minutes of calling out, I heard nothing, not a peep or a twig or anything. Now the weird part is that it's impossible to move around these woods without making sound, especially for her. I was worried that she was walking too far, but I had to get back to the house as our children were alone. It freaked me out because it was as if she had vanished. I went back into the house and debated calling someone, but figured I would give her a little more time. I went to the back patio and waited. After about an hour, I started to get really worried. I called out her name again and decided that I would call if she hadn't returned at an hour and a half mark. After another 20 minutes went by, she came walking back out of the woods. Angry that she had worried so much, yet also relieved, I asked her what she was thinking, and she said, what? As she walked back up to the house, she came in and looked at me like I was crazy. I said, did you not hear me calling out to you? She, she said she had only heard me once, and she replied. Now this is where it gets crazy. She said, I've only been gone for 10 to 15 minutes. Why are you freaking out? When I told her that she had been gone for an hour and 20 minutes, she didn't believe me. She also said that when she went down there, she didn't go very far, but when she turned around, she started walking and got worried that she was lost. She said she didn't recognize where she was, but something told her to keep walking. She said it felt strange and that the air felt different. When she came back out of the woods, she was relieved to see the house. Now, the part that upsets me the most about this was that where she said she was is impossible. I was literally standing 23 to feet, 20 to 30 feet away from that spot. If she had been there, not only would I have seen her, but she could have talked to me in a normal voice. More concerning is that you can see the house from this spot and how she felt lost is mind boggling. I don't know what this was. I thought that again, she was just losing her mind. After reading a lot of responses, I feel that what happened to her was real. I plan to go back to where she was with her to prove that you can see the house from there. But I want her to show me exactly where all she went as well as talk me through everything. I know some people have to be thinking that we're crazy, but I promise I will do whatever it takes to get proof to keep you all updated as we figure this out. I know this is turning into a book to read, but I want to be detailed. Let me know if you want me to keep posting the updates here like this, or if you want me to make new posts, I will keep a weekly update for you all. Another update. This is a guy that I think saw exactly what we saw. We have heard random explosions that shook our house. I just figured we live in redneck country. Then there's another link to a YouTube video of an interview with him, a guy who had a skinwalker sighting in Georgia. I will link that as well. Very interesting story. There's just so many things to contemplate on in that. Let me know if you have any questions for this guy and I will reach out to him. If you're interested, the account that he posted from was his wife's account and the user's name is angry underscore mama underscore bear 90. I don't know if it's still there. I don't know if this guy's still talking to people or taking interviews or if he is still updating. I will see if I can find out more about what's going on in his life because some crazy phenomena going on. 
Now, if you have any stories, hit me up on fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. These are the kind of stories I'm looking for, as well as any kind of true-to-life, real stuff that's gone down, experiences, whether it's paranormal or just daily weird stuff. Hit me up, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Inward Survival School of Magic, we're going to talk a little bit about stress and how you can turn your stressors into something that's actually going to help you. New research by David Yeager and his colleagues talk about how mindsets about abilities and the mindsets about stress can reinforce each other in a positive and a negative sense. So this is also what you think becomes your reality, right? The content of work and the demands that workplaces have on people are changing dramatically. Knowledge and skills in the use of computers, programming, application of math, increasingly useful. And they contribute strongly to technological innovation and to the solution of many problems. And they provide many conveniences for people. That's why these skills are increasingly required for people in education and work. But these new demands are stressful. It's hard to learn new things. It's, it's painful right? I, I know that when you're a novice at something, it's like, shit, I can't do this. This is just too much. But thinking that is not going to help you. Stress can be related to two types of appraisals that come to mind. Appraisal one is the ability mindset. This has to do with your mindset about your own abilities. For people who do not see themselves as a computer person, to use our example, the requirement to start working with new software can be stressful and if they do not succeed immediately or they find it very difficult, the kind of thoughts that may come to mind are, I am not good at this, or will this ever work? This is a fixed mindset response. An alternative appraisal is a growth mindset response. The kind of thought that may come to mind is, this is an opportunity for me to learn something new. Appraisal two would be the stress mindset. The second appraisal has to do with how you interpret your own stress response. A first interpretation would be that your stress is an indication that you're going to fail. An alternative interpretation could be that the stress is your body's natural and beneficial response to doing something challenging. Interesting research has been done on stress mindsets. There is a YouTube video also linked regarding this situation and it works through a couple graphs. Now in this graph, the top path in the figure shows two subversive appraisals. There's the fixed mindset, when the stress undermines me mindset, and the pathway leads to vascular resistance. Your blood vessels constrict, you, there's a negative effect, there's fear, there's decreasing motivation. And the bottom path first shows growth mindset and then a mindset of stress helps me. This path leads to persistence and growth. This was designed as an intervention aimed at influencing both the ability mindset and the stress mindset of students. The intervention consisted of two parts. Part one consisted of the growth mindset intervention that aimed to teach participants that abilities can be developed and that this insight helps you see struggles as a path to improvement rather as a sign of inability. Part two was aimed at teaching a positive stress mindset. This aimed to teach participants that your stress response can help you to improve your performance. This insight can help you use your stress as a way to develop your abilities. They test this intervention on multiple studies and it consisted of three parts. First, they offered them scientific information. Then they had them read stories of older students. And finally, they, they used say is believe writing techniques where they had to write advice to a fictional other student who was struggling. 
One of the studies, they had subjects prepare a speech that they had to give. The audience at the speech was trained to react emotionally flat, neither positive or negative. After the speech, the subjects had to do calculations aloud in front of the non-responsive audience. Then they could recover from the tasks. The figure shows how their stress developed during the study. As can be seen, the stress among the participants who received the mindset intervention was lower throughout the process. The positive effect was strongest for people who had previously had negative mindsets and for women. In a diary study, students from socioeconomic disadvantaged populations recorded twice a day for five days how much stress they were under and how good or bad they felt about themselves. The figure below shows the results. The more stress the students had, the worse they generally felt about themselves. But students who received the mindset intervention reported a lesser degree of internalization distress. The higher the stress, the greater the difference in internalization between the experimental group and the control group. Researchers also conducted another diary study in the first year students in relation to the COVID-19 situation. By January 2020, they had taken baseline measurements on these students before the pandemic. They were then divided into the control group and the experimental group. The latter received the synergistic mindsets intervention. COVID lockdowns took place in March. In April, they measured the fear among these students. They found that the students who had shown negative mindsets in January and women showed much less anxiety in April than those who had undergone the mindset intervention. The fixed mindset and the negative stress mindset can together lead a negative lead to a negative spiral. The fixed mindset increases your stress response. The negative stress mindset is a surplus problem. It exacerbates your stress and undermines your motivation and performance. This can increase your tendency to avoid the stress-inducing task, math, for example, and then even more in the future and to experience even more stress if you do run into it. Conversely, a growth mindset together with a positive stress mindset can lead to a positive spiral. In a growth mindset, you can see the difficult challenges and opportunity to learn from it. You consider the stress you experience as normal and even support your performance. Taken together, this lowers your fear of these types of challenging tasks that you will not avoid and even seek out in the future. The synergistic mindsets intervention is especially useful in certain circumstances and for certain groups. People who had negative mindsets prior to the challenging circumstances are likely to benefit most from the intervention. Women also seem to benefit more than men. I think this is so fucking important for people to realize that if you tell yourself that this is an opportunity opposed to this is really hard, I can't do it, and then you also reinforce it with um, letting yourself know that um, that it is an opportunity for growth, it will actually aid you in, in the challenging task. And it, the whole mind over matter technique and being able to put yourself in stressful situation and allow that stress to become good stress and allow yourself the opportunity for growth is huge. I mean, I know a lot of people, they avoid social situations because they get stressed out. And instead of like exposure therapy and putting themselves through types of situations like that, they avoid them altogether, causing even more stress and even more avoidance of that particular stressor. There is no growth there. There is, in, in my opinion, I think that there is, um, you're hindering yourself even further by, by allowing that. And so when kids have social anxiety, 
we need to help them work through that. Or if they have anxiety with um, learning new things, we need to help them through that and show them how to establish a positive mindset and how to how to do synergistic mindset intervention. And it's pretty cut and dry. You can basically just journal your way through this by convincing yourself that you can do this, that yeah, it's challenging, but it's an opportunity for growth. And yeah, it's stressful, but this stress is gonna help me opposed to this stress is gonna hurt me and I'm gonna have a panic attack and I need medication and I need to go see a counselor. Granted, some of us do. There sometimes some emotional situations are just way too much, but there is hope and there is a way to get through this. Our minds are magic. It's just a matter of us convincing ourselves that that's true. Our Stoic of the Week is John Locke. He said, We are like chameleons. We take our hue and the color of our moral character from those who are around us. He also said, Education begins the gentleman, but reading, good company, and reflection must finish him. And last, Men being, as has been said by nature, all free, equal, and independent. No one can be put out of this estate and subjected to the political power of another without his own consent. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining me.